It's great to be here, and it's a real privilege to stand here and uh, share with you. Um, not like yesterday, or was it yesterday, Friday at the uh, warm spaces where I was making lunch, where I ended up with a big rip down the back of my trousers, uh, which had to be sellotaped up for the rest of the day. <laughs> um, that's life, isn't it, in church? <laughs> um, but it's, it's just a privilege to be here, and it's... Let me find something on the screen, I hope. Um, I'm John. I'm married to Adriana. Uh, She's from Romania. I have two sons, two teenage daughters, and that's me. Um, I'm community pastor here. And uh, today we're thinking about promises, and that's really wonderful. I heard recently about a Dr. Lowe who was from China. He'd moved to America and had lived there for a while, but he was really quite lonely and missing his family and friends in China. And then one day he got a card and he opened the card up. It came in the post. He opened it up and it said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Um, That's a true story. It did actually happen. There was actually a Dr. Lowe, and he did hear those words from Scripture. I'm going to be 72 next month. If you want to know the date of my birthday so you can send me cards and presents, I'll let you know. But um, for 58 years of, for those, 58 of those years, I have been a Christian and a follower of Jesus. And what I'm discovering is he's not finished with me yet. Or I'd be dead, wouldn't I? Um, Last Sunday morning, (laughs) think about that. (laughs) Oh, that was a bit slow, wasn't it? Uh, (laughs) um, Last Sunday morning, I was driving to church and I was praying because I'd I was praying about someone who's given me a hard time, someone who's been really nasty to me at times, and I've probably been, well, I have been nasty back to them, and it's nobody here, nobody in this church are all such nice people, you wouldn't do things like that, but I was, I was bringing this all to God and thinking, what can I do in this situation? And then I came in here, and Jeff began his talk, and wasn't it brilliant? Um, And it was so powerful and so challenging, unconditional love. And I felt really convicted by God that I wasn't able to love this person unconditionally. And I knew I was angry and unforgiving and waiting for that person to change before I would accept and love them. And so I asked Mike and Joe to pray for me afterwards and in the middle of their, Mike was praying, I, just the Spirit really spoke to me and said, John, you need to pray and personally ask God's forgiveness for your sin. And you need to forgive the person who's hurt you. And then ask for me to pour unconditional love into your heart. And I tell you, there was a lot of tears when that happened, and, and I came away, God is so good, I came away forgiven and freed from my sin, and I did find I had a new heart to love that person. You see, God is always at work in our lives, 
because we're still living in this corrupt generation, in this corrupt world where there is evil, and we're, we'll constantly be fighting this battle right till the end. And we need to realize that. And, and it's part of life in the world that we live in. And God is at work. And so I pray the promises as part of the transformation process that God wants. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins, isn't he? And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what God's doing. That's what he's been doing in me. Because Jesus warned, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit he has given us. Those are the promises I'm holding on to at the moment and praying. And I want you to know this morning that no matter what you're going through, whether you're going through some unforgiveness like I experienced or you have bitterness or worries or relationships that have gone wrong or illness or problems at work or loneliness or you're feeling you're distant from God, God still wants to be involved in your life. Amen. You know what amen means? The Hebrew root for that word means faithful. God is faithful. It's literally what you're saying when you say amen. And he has answers and he has promises for every situation. You can become a life full of promise or full of promises. And it's, you know, I, I've been thinking about the whole purpose of this book, the Bible, that contains so many promises. The first promise was uh, in the Bible was to the serpent in the garden in Genesis 3. There God said, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Here we have the first announcement of the coming savior and redeemer of mankind. And Charles Spurgeon, that great preacher, he reminds us that this promise stands as a prophecy that we will be afflicted by the powers of evil in this life's journey, what I've been saying, and thus bruised in our heel, but we shall triumph in Christ who sets his foot upon the serpent's head. Amen. That's just so good. The promises of Scripture. And the final promise, in the, that's the first in the Bible. The last promise in the Bible is from the risen, ascended Jesus, promising in Revelation 22, 20, surely I am coming soon. Wonderful news, isn't it? And you know, it, it seems to me that every promise in the Bible is about providing three things. The way, firstly, the way for sinful people to find salvation through Christ. Secondly, to have wonderfully transformed holy lives on earth. That's, that's the second promise. And the third is to give us confidence of a brilliant eternal future with Jesus. And we'll, you'll find that in the passage that I've felt God wanted me to speak from to this morning. So we're going to look at 2 Peter chapter 1. 
Peter is writing in 1 Peter to encourage Christians who are under threat of violent persecution. And in 2 Peter, he's writing to warn these same believers of the dangers of false teachers and harmful influences and so on. And Peter was convinced that the best antidote for heresy and persecution is to have a mature knowledge of the truth in God's word. And you'll notice the word knowledge comes up a few times in this passage. And I think in three out of the four times you read the word, it's about an intimate knowing of Jesus, an intimate relationship with Jesus. Let's read 2 Peter, beginning at verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, has received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning, in some ways, I want, want us to see how God has special promises that have transforming power. And to begin with, I want, I'm going to put these words up again, and I want you to notice where they're highlighted in, in yellow, yes. And uh, what I want you just to look at those words. There's, there's just so much that God wants to give us. You know, it's a faith that's precious as ours. It's abundance. Uh, it's divine power and everything we need for a godly life. That's everything. And... and uh, uh, he's given us his great and precious promises. And then in the next slide, uh, add to your faith. Uh, he will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. In other words, the opposite of that. You'll be effective and productive. Uh, you will never stumble. You will receive a rich reward. You see how generous God is. You see how much he has to offer us. That's what we're talking about. Uh, I want to mention five gifts from God this morning. The first is the amazing person in Jesus. The first two verses there, Peter writes about Jesus and about precious faith. Jesus was the most precious 
thing in, or person in Peter's life. He'd spent three years with Jesus, had observed his perfect life, his power to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to do miracles. He had experienced Jesus' warnings and rebukes. He had denied knowing Jesus after his arrest, but he experienced Jesus' forgiveness and call, and he witnessed Jesus' death and resurrection. And Peter then is able to affirm three really important things about Jesus. Firstly, Jesus is God. The verse says, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. That's revolutionary. We need to believe Jesus is God. Secondly, Jesus is our Savior, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The world says, have confidence in yourself. But the Bible teaches us to have confidence in Jesus. And as I said earlier, I know I mess up in many ways, in many kinds of ways in my life, but I know that Jesus came to save me and that he won't mess up in his work. What he has done is complete, it's finished. And I know that one day I'll be, he will present me before the Father without fault and with great joy. Hmm. I, I yeah, love meditating on that. Thirdly, Jesus is Lord. The knowledge, he speaks in verse 2, the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. He is Lord of my life. He is Lord over all. He is Lord over every circumstance in life, over the darkest temptations and the strongest devils. This Jesus, God, Savior, and Lord. Christian faith is confidence in Jesus, making him the center of all we do. Let me ask you, is he the center of your life? Is he the center of your life? That's the first thing, this wonderful person, this amazing person. Secondly, talks about divine power. His, his divine power, God's divine power has given us everything we need through your knowledge of Jesus Christ. Everything you need in school or college, everything you need for married life, everything you need for single life, everything you need for midlife crisis, everything you need for life and old age, everything you need when ill and facing death. The divine power, his divine power has given us everything we need through our knowledge of Jesus, through knowing him intimately. You know, people say, I'm not able to be the good person Jesus wants me to be. Peter says, you'll have the gift of God's power for life and godliness in verse 3. To handle life's problems and become more and more like God. In 1 Peter 1, Peter wrote, in his great mercy he has given new birth through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded or kept by, the, by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That's great, isn't it? You know, we're being kept by God's power because of Jesus. And this is amazing power of God in your life and mine. Thirdly, there's the great and precious promises. I'm going to come back to them a bit later. Fourthly, there is the astounding participation. Uh, we can participate 
and we do participate in the divine nature. That sounds impossible. What? Uh, it doesn't mean you become God. What the Bible is clear that when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, God's Spirit enters the life of that person, the Spirit of Jesus. And Peter is talking about our union with Christ. The Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's in Galatians 2, I think it's verse 20. And Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Linked together intimately, the life flows through the, through the branch to, and produces fruit. If a, a man remains in, or remains in me, he will bear much fruit. These are all different ways of just talking about the power and the presence of God in our lives today. We, we are in partnership. The word comes from koinonia, which we get fellowship, partnership. That's what we're in, a partnership with God, a fellowship with him. This divine power. And then, fifthly, there's the increasing productivity. Uh, there's a, the verse there speaks... Oh, I've lost the verse now. Can we go back to the screen? Um, with the... Yes, uh, the, the back. Yeah, that's it. Uh, you will never... Uh, where does it say it? Um, yes, there. Verse, verse 8. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The, if you turn it around the other way and make it positive, it means you will be effective and productive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Greater intimacy with Jesus. That's what that's about. And when there's greater intimacy with Jesus... There's greater productivity in all of your life and in all that you do. That's wonderful. So those, those in a sense, are great promises. And I want you to see the pro progression in those steps that I put up, uh, those, those five wonderful things. It moves from inviting Jesus to be Savior and Lord to receiving divine power. And out of his glory and goodness, we are given precious promises that we may share in fellowship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to escape from, this, uh, from being corrupted in this world and encourage us to work hard and to become more and more like God. And the passage ends with this assurance that we will never fall and we will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. So easy, isn't it? Well, we're still battling a bit, aren't we? Let's look at the amazing promises very quickly. Um, the promises are all in the Bible. They are great promises, Peter says, great and precious. The root of the word great is megas, from which we get the word mega. So these are mega promises. And uh, they are from a, a magnificent God, and they lead to a magnificent life. Mega promises, and they are precious promises. Their value is below, beyond calculation. You'll notice I have my wedding ring on the wrong hand, and there's a reason for that. Many years ago, I lost it, and it lost it because my finger's getting a bit thinner in my old age, and it slipped off somewhere. And, and I was devastated uh, because the, the ring was a symbol of the promises Adriana had made to me when we got married. And it was very special, and I made the promises to her. Uh, and it upset me, and it was about two years praying to find it, and I found it one day in a box of paintbrushes and stuff. 
So it's now on this hand because it won't fall. Well, this finger's getting a bit, yes. <laughs> anyway, but it's so precious. But that's nothing compared to the precious promises that we have in Jesus. Nothing compared to the value of God's promises. The promises of God are uniquely and extraordinarily precious. Not only because of how they help us, but because of the core, because of the cost that Jesus paid on the cross to make them available to us. He died on the cross, taking our sin so that we could enjoy and use these great and precious promises. They're for you and me. Why does God give great and precious promises? Well, he wants us to know his character and become like him. That's simple, isn't it? Simple to understand, difficult to put into practice, but it's there in that passage encouraging you to become, to develop those qualities that we read about. He gives promises to us that we will see his nature and learn deeper truths about his character and personal care for us. Secondly, he wants to give us hope. He's a God of hope. All of us are encouraged when we know that someone is rooting for us. Someone who wants, to cross the, wants us to cross the finishing line victoriously. A difficult time in your life or a struggle and someone comes to you and says, God has placed you on my heart and I just want you to know I'm praying for you. That can mean so much to someone. To know God cares for them. That gives hope. In Lamentations, Jeremiah writes, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses, plural, loving kindnesses, indeed never cease. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion says my soul, therefore I have hope in him. What a God. Thirdly, he wants to develop your faith in him. When we begin to trust God to experience simple answers to prayer, our faith increases. And faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. That's in Romans 10, 17. The more we read the Bible, the more we read and study the words of Jesus, the more aware we become of his promises and his power. And the more we will be tempted to use those promises and power for his glory. That's a good temptation. You're allowed to be tempted to use the promises. You see, one lesson learned at the feet of God builds on another until we have come to a point where we Ask him in every decision we have to make to show us what we should do. And he answers. He speaks through his word. So then we can begin to meditate on scripture. Begin to internalize his truth in our hearts so that we can claim the promises. I'll say a bit more about that later. Fourthly, he wants us to have confidence in the battle. Um, remember all that God has promised you, unlike the empty promises of sin, God's promise, promises have been thoroughly tested and are guaranteed. Uh, John Piper has written a great book called Future Grace, 
And he writes that a fundamental way that we as Christians are to fight sin and to pursue holiness is by overcoming sinful desires by embracing higher, more beautiful desires. Sin makes deceitful promises that lure us away from God. And we battle the desires of the flesh by trusting God's promises instead, his promises for a better tomorrow, for future grace. We put our faith in the Lord's promise of that future grace, and in doing so, we gain fresh power in our pursuit of godliness. So, reading the promises, leaning on the promises, exercising the promises, bringing them into your life is bringing that truth rather than the deceitfulness of the enemy. God's promises confront a whole host of sins. can do that. And the characteristics of God's promises, one, God's salvation promises are for everyone. Just look and read the Bible, read the New Testament, read John's Gospel. A number of times he writes to everyone or whoever or all or anyone. That's God's promise for everyone. God's salvation promises are for everyone. God's promises are free. They're undeserved. It's not from our merit, but they're from God's love and from his favor. Thirdly, God's promises are reliable. You know, the Old Testament doesn't, in the Hebrew, Hebrew language doesn't have a word for promise. Instead, it uses quite ordinary words to encapsulate the promise of God, just to speak or say or word or even swear. Those are, when they're used, it's, they're, it's used instead of promise. Uh, in other words, God's word is itself the same as a promise. God's word is the same as a promise. I love that. Fourthly, God's promises rest on his sovereignty. A non-sovereign God isn't God at all. Um, R I think it was R.C. Sproul who was teaching on this, and he began the class by reading from part of the Westminster Confession of Faith, which I'm sure you've all read and know. And uh, he, he read, God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own free will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Do you hear that? Freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Anything that comes to pass, God has ordained. And he stopped and asked, is there anyone in this room who does not believe the words that I have read? And many hands went up. And then he asked, are there any convinced atheists in the room? No hands were raised. And he then said, everyone who raised his hand to the first question should also have raised their hand to the second question. And he went on to argue that if there is a single molecule in the universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled. That one maverick molecule could perhaps lay waste all of God's plans and promises towards us. But God is sovereign over all. I love that. God's promises rest on his character. 
God is faithful, truthful, immutable. He never changes a promise or fails to keep a promise. Um, to Timothy, Timothy, Paul says, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful. He cannot disown himself. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, um, he linked God's immutability and his promises. He says, if I thought that the notes of the Bank of England could not be cashed next week, I should decline to take them. And if I thought that the promises would never be fulfilled, if I thought that God could see it right to alter some word of his promises, farewell scriptures, he says, I want immutable things. If you struggle to believe the promises, get your Bible out and do a study of God's character, of his love, his faithfulness, his unchangeableness or whatever. Yeah. Fifthly, God's promises rest on his power. Every promise of God will be fulfilled because God is powerful. Isaiah writes, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their hosts by number. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. That's Isaiah 40, verse 26. God has infinite power. While, someone said, while men promise mountains and deliver molehills, God promises his saints two worlds, this world, this life, and the life to come. And he guarantees both. He's for you in this life now. And he's guaranteeing that he'll get you there and guarantee you a wonderful life to come. I don't want to end with two thoughts that God laid in my heart about promises. Firstly, it was A.W. Tozer I've been reading recently, and it's about expectation. He writes, we need today a fresh spirit, and this was a while ago, we, need, we still need it, we need today a fresh spirit of anticipation that springs out of the promises of God. We must declare war on the mood of non-expectation and come together with childlike faith. Only then can we know again the beauty and wonder of the Lord's presence among us. True faith is never found alone. It is always accompanied by expectation. The man who believes the promises of God expects them to be filled, fulfilled. Where there is no expectation, there is no faith. How is your faith? How is your faith? I was always taught F-A-I-T-H, forsaking all, I trust him. Good way to know what faith's all about. Forsaking all, I trust him. Uh, it doesn't matter what's going on around me. I'm not going to let that affect my faith in what God can do. No matter what hardship you're going through, don't focus on that. Focus on God and what he can do. Remember Elijah praying for rain in the middle of a long drought? And then he asked his servant, do you see a cloud? That's expectation. But note that Elijah had had a promise from God, which he prayed into reality. He had the promise. He told his servant in expectation, see if you can see the cloud yet. Is it coming? And of course it came. Edwin, Edmund Lee, a great Puritan writer, wrote, the promises are the grounds of our hope, the objects of our faith, and the rule of prayer. 
the promises are meant to be prayed. We've got to become a church that's reading the Bible and studying it and discovering the promises. That's where it begins. But when we discover the promises, they're just not to make you happy or content. It's not to have a little card with a promise written on it. Or we used to have promise boxes, you remember, where you could take one out. And, oh, yeah, that makes me feel good for a moment or two. That's not what it's about. The promises are about the rule of prayer. I am reminded of 2 Chronicles 7, verses that you'll know. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And I feel God wants us, he wants us to claim the promise. But there's a condition, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. It's an amazing promise. Our land is in a mess. Our nation is in a mess. We need a flood of the Holy Spirit. Locusts are destroying the seed and the fruit. What's planted in people's lives, it's being stolen away. And we've plagues, well, we've had them, haven't we? And they're still around. But when will we get together and pray? Not just one or two. Oh, how amazing it would be if you're all here for a prayer meeting to pray for revival regularly. You can meet on a Sunday morning for half an hour. Just come along at 10, at 9.50 in the prayer room. And we're there for half an hour praying. Let's pray that I'm praying that that room won't be big enough. That's what we want. And we also pray, some of us on a Thursday fortnightly from 8 o'clock to 9, the emphasis there is on revival. Will you pray? Will you pray? Will you humble? Will you seek his face? Let me end. Let me ask you, do you know this wonderful Jesus as your Savior and Lord? The wisest decision anyone can ever make is to receive Jesus in repentance and faith. Trust his greatest promise. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There is a prayer on the screen which you can pray right now in your heart as I read it. And if you want to receive Jesus, you just pray this prayer in your heart. Lord Jesus, I confess my sins and ask for your forgiveness. Please come into my heart as my Lord and Savior. Take control of my life and help me to walk in your footsteps daily by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for saving me and for answering my prayer. Amen. And Father, if there's anyone here today who has prayed that promise, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would come and fill them to overflowing with the joy of Jesus. 
and fill them with your power to live godly lives and to share this good news of Jesus. And I pray that for everyone here too, Lord. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, do let someone know and come and speak to me or to one of the other leaders here, but tell someone and so that we can help you grow in your faith and maybe give you some materials as well. And now you can begin to explore those great promises of God. The question for everyone is, do you truly expect to see the promises of God fulfilled today in your life? Has the word of God got a special place in your life? You can build expectancy by searching the scriptures for promises. And then take time to meditate on them and then begin to memorize them so that you have a store ready for every situation. And then pray the promise with faith.